everybody, it's Scott Burnside back for another edition, a playoff edition at that, of Two Man Advantage. Tuesday morning, the round of 16, the traditional first round of the playoffs, about to get set later this afternoon, four games. But really, if you felt like it was there was a bit of a break or a lull in the action on Monday, well, you probably weren't paying enough attention. And to help us go through... Uh, well, uh, Scott Wheeler, what was it? Two or three minutes when they actually, when you know, when they actually got down to the balls in the hopper for the uh, first overall draft pick. But it it was a small amount of time, but a very impactful few moments for the National Hockey League and, of course, the New York Rangers, whose name popped out of that bingo machine. Yeah, and let's be honest, we knew that they weren't going to sort of hit the hit the ground running at six p.m. and and draw the ball <laughs> and and get right to it. They had a half an hour of of sort of television airtime to fill so they took their time with it but yeah I, I, once it was time to draw it felt like an eternity that those balls were bouncing around in there before <laughs> the new york rangers one slipped out and i think that's that's exactly what you want if you're the nhl you want that moment you want twitter buzzing you want everybody talking about it and i thought it was pretty pretty tense and pretty exciting and made for good television so i, I think the way that this sort of weird two-phase lottery turned out for the nhl was a lot of fun for everyone involved i thought the first lottery was a real thrill just because we knew that Lafreniere when it was all said and done was going to have to wait even longer to find out where he went and then last night I thought it was a lot of fun and and he's got to be laughing because I mean he gets to go to a team that's already on the upswing they're they're not really in the beginning stages of a of a rebuild if you will they're on the way out so um, he's got to be loving that for him and his career and the way things are trending for him as well so uh, I thought it was a sort of best case scenario for pretty much everyone involved. Uh, that's great. Well, listen, everyone who's who follows the NHL and certainly follows the Athletic understands your breadth of knowledge of uh, NHL prospects and the building of NHL teams, uh, all those kinds of things. Is there a way to, you know, where do you, uh, I don't want to say rank, but when you look at Alexis Lafreniere, is he different than other first-round picks we've seen in, say, the last four or five years in terms of his... Oh, his abilities, his physical and and maybe even emotional maturity, his ability to maybe step from major junior hockey into the NHL. How do you, you know, when you sort of consider him against his peers in recent years, what, what do you think of him? Yeah, I think you kind of hit the nail on the head in terms of his NHL readiness. That's the one thing with Alexi that, that really leaps out at you. When you look back at the Nico Hichés of the world and the Nolan Patricks of the world and certainly Jack Hughes and Capo Caco as recently as this last season, things didn't play out in a sort of picture-perfect step into the NHL and immediately become top-of-the-lineup-impact-players kind of way. And I think with Alexi, what you're looking at is a kid who has a real chance of, of being that kind of a player. He's got a real chance of stepping into the league immediately. And I think there are a few things that contribute to that. The first is his age. He's one of the older players in this draft, so he's going to be 19. He's going to turn 19 a couple of days after he's drafted on October 9th. So... Um, he's he's going he's going to make his NHL debut as a 19 year old. He's already six foot one and 193 pounds. I've been told that he's closer to 200 pounds these days, and that his listed weight is actually a little bit um, sort of in the rearview mirror. So 
he's, he's a big kid. He's a strong kid. He's a powerful kid. That's the bread and butter of his game is that sort of puck possession style, that ability to, to bounce off of checks and to hang onto the puck and to make plays off the cycle and that kind of a thing. And that hasn't been typical of the players that we see at the top of the draft in recent years. The players we've tended to see at the top of the draft in recent years have trended towards the sort of Mitch Marners of the world and the Quinn Hughes of the world and the Elias Pettersons, these kids who are sort of pure skill and build their games off of that rather than the strength and the power that comes with a player like Alexi Lafreniere, who's six foot one and just can get to the net and get to those quote unquote dirty areas and play a more physical game. So I think that plus the late start to this season, plus all the time that he's now going to have in Manhattan to get familiar with his teammates, get on the ice, get uh, sort of accustomed to the, to life in the city, find out how the New York Rangers want him to play, where he's going to fit, what their systems are. All of that is going to allow him to, I think, hit the ground running once things start in earnest in December or January. So that's what, what really stands out about Alexi. He doesn't have that talent of an Austin Matthews or a, or a Connor McDavid at the same age. But in terms of that next tier of first overall picks, he's he's close to NHL ready. And he's the kind of player who could step in and, and really challenge for a Calder trophy right away. Yeah, Scott, you alluded to something that I think is really important, and it will certainly be interesting to see how this plays out. But, you know, unlike a guy like Jack Hughes, who goes to a, you know, a New Jersey team that obviously I think a lot of us expected they would be better than they were this year. But, you know, things were that was a pretty rocky year for a team that's still very much you know, sort of in the the initial steps of a of a rebuild there. And we've seen uh, Elias Patterson and Vancouver, a team that, you know, didn't have a lot to, to build around. But Alexi Lafreniere is going into a Ranger team, as you mentioned. You know, Capocaco goes at number two a year ago. There are all kinds of uh, terrific young emerging players on that team. The goaltending future looks so bright there with Shesterkin. How do you think that impacts the pressure and the expectations on a guy like Lafreniere compared to maybe some of these other first or even top two or three picks who go into a market where maybe the cupboard is, is more or less bare? Yeah, I think you have to look back at that first phase of the lottery and think about where he could have ended up and how those expectations would have been different versus a place like New York. And it, and I think it's pretty stark. If he's in Ottawa or if he's in Detroit or if he's in Anaheim or even L.A., he's the guy. He is the savior. He's the guy who has to pull them sort of out of the basement and back into this sort of relevant conversation as a potential playoff team. And everything is everything rests on his shoulder he's probably the future captain in in some of those markets and he doesn't have to be that in new york he gets to go in and and be insulated a little bit and not only insulated by the talent that they have and the young talent that they also have coming in players like kako but insulated specifically at his position at left wing they're probably one of the stronger teams at left wing in the league now and they already had artemi panarin and chris Kreider as their sort of one-two punch at the left wing. And now suddenly, maybe instead of asking him to, to lead a first line in his first year in the league, he can play on a third line to start there and maybe work his way up. And they know that they have a 50 or 60-point player in Chris Kreider and a point-per-game player in Artemi Panarin who already are most comfortable on that left side. So there's no rush. He doesn't have to step in right right away and be the go-to guy at his position. He may still end up as a, a top power play guy. It'll be interesting to see how that power play works with so many left handed shots although Panarin is a righty um, but yeah he, he's he definitely enters a, a hotbed market and there will be expectations that come with just playing in Manhattan and playing for an original six team and playing on a lot of national broadcasts I'm sure when 
next year's schedule comes out, we're going to see a lot of the New York Rangers on the big broadcast <laughs> schedule. So that that's going to come with a certain kind of pressure. And certainly you're going to have Jack Hughes around the corner. And there's that one versus one that's going to happen moving forward between the New Jersey Devils and, and the New York Rangers. And all of that's going to be a part of his narrative for sure. But he doesn't have to be the guy. He doesn't have to have all of that pressure sort of squarely on his shoulders. And maybe that allows him to settle in and, and sort of be a little bit quieter in, in the early goings or struggle if he has to. And all of that it can can sort of play out more smoothly than it might have in a place like Detroit or Ottawa. All right. So uh, the draft is set for the week or so after the Stanley Cup is awarded, hopefully in early October. Um I know we we assume that the Rangers won't be doing anything funky with that first overall pick, that it will be Lafreniere, but you do mention the depth on the left side. Is Do you imagine a scenario where Jeff Gordon, the GM of the Rangers, and that management team sits down and says, well, could we parlay this pick into something else that fills other organizational holes either down the middle or on the blue line or we're, or are we locked into Lafreniere is going to be a ranger and and that's that's the way it should be I think they're probably going to lock in with, with Alexi and that that's probably the way it should be. I think it's fun in theory to talk about some of the different ways that this can go. I think that conversation is going to be even louder this year than it normally is in terms of potential movement at the top just because you have the Ottawa Senators who have the third and fifth overall pick and everybody looks at those two picks and wonders whether they might be able to package it to sort of move up to first overall. Plus, you've now got the ripple effect of Kreider and Panarin already existing on that left side and being locked into long-term contracts and all of that. But at the end of the day, I think it, the, the smart decision nearly in every single situation when you have the first overall pick is to just take the best player. I think Alexi is the clear-cut option there. And I think that you might be be sort of knocking yourself somewhere down the line if you don't give yourself a player of Alexi's quality and and you try to play the long game and, and sort of outsmart yourself by moving down to the, that three and five or by packaging it for a defenseman or by packaging it for a, a sort of active star player and that kind of a thing. I just think that Alexi has the potential to be a star player, if not immediately, then then pretty quickly in his NHL career. I think it's only going to be a year, two years, maybe three years before we really see him as a true one of the game's true stars and one of the better wingers in the league. And I think that that's too hard to pass up and that good players will figure that out. And Artemi Panarin and Chris Kreider and Alexi Lafreniere can all figure that out within themselves. Maybe Artemi Panarin, who is a right shot, switches to what should be his natural position on the right side. We'll see. There are options there. Time will pass and things will change and everything will sort itself out. So I'm of the opinion that you just take Alexi and, and you laugh your way to the bank with the future face of the franchise. Well, for a franchise that really, you know, and listen, it's all, I guess, a matter of luck in, on, on some levels when you're talking about balls popping out of a bingo machine. But, you know, this is this is a big day for the New York Rangers and a team that I felt had, had really sort of gone well down the road to to building not just for the next year or so, but maybe for the long term. Um, I, I, before I let you go, though, Scott, you raised a couple of things in your great uh, 10 thoughts after the uh, draft lottery phase two. There were a couple of other teams who actually benefited by... You know, they didn't. <laughs> I mean, Caroline wasn't even in the uh, the proceedings, but there were a couple teams that, at the end of it uh, last night, uh, found themselves in a pretty advantageous uh, position. Yeah. So uh, I just wondered if you could, uh, you know, were there which teams maybe people weren't realizing, but today are actually in a better position than they were 24 hours ago. 
Yeah, the Carolina Hurricanes, I mean, you touched on them briefly, but Carolina didn't even have a sort of lottery ball, quote-unquote, and here they are with the 13th overall pick after pulling off what I think is a is a extremely well-done job with the Patrick Marlowe cap dump deal that they made with the Maple Leafs. And Carolina, I mean, they already have one of the stronger prospect pools in the league. When I did my prospect pool rankings in February, they were third. They might be a little bit lower than that today. Um, but they're, they're a top five prospect pool in the league. They've now added a 13th overall pick. They also have the Rangers second round pick from the Adam Fox trade. So they've got two second round picks in this draft and they just seem to find a way to keep insulating with youth. They obviously made the trade with the St. Louis blues to acquire Dominic Bach, who I think is a fabulous young talent. And they just keep finding ways to, to find young talent, to insulate that core that they've already built there. We know how strong and deep their defense is. We know what's happening in the NHL with Svechnikov and Aho, and they, they've, they've figured it out there. They've done a really good job building that team, and I'm excited to see what they do now with the Leafs pick at 13th overall. And then there are two other teams that I think can get lost in this, and that's the Minnesota Wild and the Winnipeg Jets. And because the, the Arizona Coyotes and the Montreal Canadiens and the Chicago Blackhawks pulled off upsets, the Winnipeg Jets and the Minnesota Wild now suddenly get to draft two or three slots higher than they typically would have if they just entered the the sort of 16-team playoffs with the way that the season regular season standings had ended. So now suddenly the, the Minnesota Wild, even though they didn't win the lottery, are drafting ninth overall and the Jets are 10th overall. And I think this draft is about eight star players deep. And normally there are only about five or six of those players in each draft. And I think there's a good chance that one of those players, if a defenseman like Jake Sanderson goes in that top eight, that one of those eight that I really like could fall and be available at nine or ten. So you've now got a chance for the for a Minnesota Wild team that obviously added Matt Boldy last year and has Kirill Kaprizov coming to add another player of that quality, another top-end prospect. And if you're the Winnipeg Jets with a team that's as loaded with talent as they already are, now you've suddenly got an opportunity potentially to add a kid who's maybe a little bit closer to the NHL and can help you in that current window that you're in. So they're sort of those silver lining winners, if you will, just because of the upsets that happen in the qualifying round and the way that that kind of pushed them up the draft board. So there's going to be a lot to watch in that sort of top 15 in this year's draft. And it's going to be a very interesting draft to evaluate in years ahead just because they haven't had the last three, four, five months to evaluate these players, and I think it's going to be a, a little bit, bit more sort of trial by fire, and, and there's probably going to be some mistakes made, and there's probably going to be some big swings that are taken. So this draft is going to be a lot of fun on draft day, I think. I think it's going to be live in terms of we don't know who's going to go which direction with these players, and then I think it's going to be really, really interesting to evaluate five years from now in terms of who got it right and who got it wrong. So I'm looking forward to it. Scott, I can tell you this. I feel that myself as the host, but also all of our listeners, we were the ones who won the draft lottery by having you on this morning. And so thank you for taking the time. It's been great. And I'm with you. All of this is going to, I mean, the dominoes from the playoffs to the draft, to free agency, to literally to training camp at the start of the 2021 season, it's going to go by in a blur. But you should always be following Scott Wheeler at the Athletic NHL and follow Scott on Twitter, at Scott Wheeler. And thank you again, Scott. Look forward to catching up down the road. Yeah, cheers, Scotty. All right. We're going to go from one all-star to another. We're going to hear from Jeremy Rutherford, MVP of St. Louis Blues coverage. But we've got to take a break. And when we do come back, we're going to hear from the master himself. Support for Two Man Advantage is brought to you by Manscaped, who is the best in men's below-the-belt grooming. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. 
And big news, Manscaped just launched in Canada. For those listeners in Canada, you can be one of the first Canadians to experience their life-changing products. That's why Manscaped has redesigned the electric trimmer. The Manscaped engineering team perfected the greatest ball hair trimmer ever created and have their new and improved Lawnmower 3.0. Their third generation trimmer features a cutting edge ceramic blade to reduce manscaping accidents. When I tell you this is premium, I mean premium. The battery will last up to 90 minutes so you can take a longer shave. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code THEATHLETIC20 at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com. And use the code THEATHLETIC20. And for a limited time, subscribers get not one, but two free gifts. The Shed Travel Bag, a $39 value, and the patented high-performance anti-chafing Manscaped Boxer Briefs. So go to manscaped.com today and use code THEATHLETIC20. Jeremy Rutherford, you know what? I mean, there are so many reasons why you're the MVP in my mind of not just the athletic hockey staff, but maybe all of the hockey writers. And it has nothing to do with the gigantic festival you hosted at your house during the Stanley Cup Finals last year, which was was epic. There, There is pictorial evidence of it. It was an epic evening. But in the wake of a terrible storm in the St. Louis area, is it true that you are now... Uh, uh, plundering your neighbor's uh, hydro <laughs> electricity so that you can do this uh, podcast yet? Scotty, I actually got my car, drove around. I have a number of friends here in the neighborhood and uh, just driving aimlessly, called one of them and said, hey, do you mind if I <laughs> kind of take up your basement and do a podcast here real quick? And they're big fans of the podcast. So they said, uh, no problem. So here I am uh, sitting at a bar where there's no alcohol or people, uh, but uh, we're going to do a podcast with you. Well, it's almost like a re- it's like real life then, socially distant in the bar. But uh, well, you're a good you're a good man for getting up early with no power, and I hope the power comes back on soon. And that's a great segue because I'm sure that St. Louis Blues fans are wondering when the power is coming back on for the Blues, and I'm I'm not sure they really got the memo that there was yes a return to play, and there were some round robin games, um, and. Maybe it doesn't mean anything that the Blues went 0-2-1. And and here's the other stat, because you know I'm quite an advanced stats guy. Um, But they had a minus 43 shot differential in three games. Uh, And if if I understand the stats board correctly, they collected exactly 18 first-period shots in three games. So that suggests to me that they're not quite in – they're not quite revved up yet. And I wonder – do you care? Does it matter? They are the defending Stanley Cup champions. They can do whatever they want, or can they? Well, before I give you an answer, Scotty, let me throw another stat at you. You use the shot total, uh, the combined for the three games. I'll add in shots that were blocked and also missed shots. The three opponents that the Blues played in the round robin, 209, the Blues 115, so a difference of 94 shots there in terms of total shots directed at the net. That is not the way the Blues have played hockey the past couple of years. 
uh, and probably going beyond that. So they're going to have to figure something out. Here's the way I see it, Scotty, is from day one. Look, they didn't report to training camp on the opening of phase two, and, and they weren't the only teams. A lot of teams said, hey, we're going to you know, wait until things are safe. And, and, and frankly, we don't want to burn up too much energy right away. And so what I sensed in training camp, the practices were up-tempo. They were brisk. Craig Berube had a, had a mission. However, there was always this feeling of, the round robin games are more or less to get their legs under them. And I think that that's the way that they approached it. And and so I think once they weren't able to progressively get better game after game and they find themselves in a situation where now they have to turn it on, you know, I think there's a lot on their shoulders. But here's the key, Scotty. You know, they're in last place in the league last year and they play their butts off. You know, then they get into situations throughout the playoffs where you think, OK, this is where this bubble's going to burst. And they say, we'll be fine. And they turn out to be fine. So I think there's this built-in confidence with them that when they uh, can get it going, when they want to play well, they will play well. Okay. So, and I'm, I'm with you on that. Uh, I, I, and I think I've talked to a couple of scouts about both St. Louis and Boston who combined to uh, go 0, 5, and 1 during the round robin. So the Bruins, of course, whom the Blues played in the finals last year, epic seven game set. Um, neither of those teams was able to achieve liftoff during the round robin. What what gives you like? Are you looking at a guy like Ryan O'Reilly? Is it Craig Berube? Is it the fact that Jordan Binnington is now no you know no one's asking questions about Jordan Binnington in goal anymore? Like, can you? I mean, can you literally flick that switch? Because that's what St. Louis is going to have to do against a Vancouver team that's very fast, power plays terrific, nice depth up front, uh, won three straight games against Minnesota after looking pretty flat in Game One of that play-in series. Uh, is it that simple of, okay, hey, we know we know this is our time? If there's one thing that you need to fix, I think you can kind of uh, focus on it and fix it. But we mentioned the Blues weren't good in the offensive zone in terms of uh, getting shot production. They weren't good in their defensive zone. Scotty, they committed way too many penalties. I believe it was 15 in the three games, 15 minors. And I know there were a lot of penalties throughout the league, but the Blues just killed themselves with uh, penalties. So I think it's a situation where they've got a lot to fix. And can you do that in a first round series against Vancouver? I think that would be difficult, even for what this Blues team has shown us uh, over the last year, year and a half. Uh, The one thing I will say, and a couple uh, players pointed this out, is that uh, they feel like they know what the challenge is now. The challenge has a face and it's the Vancouver Canucks. Now, that doesn't mean that They didn't want to play well in the round robin, and that didn't mean that Colorado and Vegas uh, didn't pose that as well. But uh, Robert Thomas said it a couple days ago. He said, now we know what we have to do. And I think if if you sit back and think about that for a second, that's what the Blues did all of last year. There was one focus. That was to get into the playoffs. And then you have situations like the hand pass. Okay, we got to put this past us, and we got to move forward. I think this Blues team is, is pretty adept at looking at one singular uh, situation and, and saying that this is the job. This is what we need to do. That's not to say that they're going to turn it on and beat Vancouver. It's just a situation where I think after the round robin, which they obviously didn't take seriously, they now know what the mission is. 
Who's who's in more whose situation is more precarious? Do you think the Blues or the Bruins? As you know, Bruins were the number one team in the NHL, cruising towards a President's Trophy at the pause in mid March. Obviously, looking to avenge their Game Seven loss at home in the Stanley Cup Final. Um, who, which team do you think faces a greater challenge of getting up off the mat now that these games are suddenly in front of them with with real meaning? I think it's the Bruins probably for a couple of reasons. And I know the Blues are the defending Stanley Cup champs, but the Blue, the Bruins were just running away with things, if you will, you know, 100 points, just a dominant season. And, and people expected them to come back and, and play well. Also, if you look big picture, look at that window, you know, they're going to lose uh, a couple of those aging players and, and perhaps uh, their ability to win a championship. You know, they've got good young players, don't get me wrong, but uh, might be closing a little faster than what it is uh, in St. Louis. And, you know, you look at uh, St. Louis and they do have, uh, with the exception of Alex Petrangelo, a uh, unrestricted free agent to be, uh, they do have a lot of good young players. So I think that core uh, can still maintain itself. Uh, secondly, Scotty, you know, I like the Car- Carolina Hurricanes, and I think that's going to be a, a really tough test for Boston in terms of trying to uh, bounce back. I like Vancouver as well. Uh, they've got uh, a number of good young star players in the league, and the Blues are going to have to try to contain them. But I, I think if you look at these two situations, I think it's going to be a little bit tougher uh, for Boston to bounce back. All right. Well, before I let you go, and I, I, I do trust that you did ask permission to go into your neighbor's house, but just in case you didn't, then they may get up and find you lurking in their basement. I, I'm curious what you, uh, is, is there a series that you're particularly interested in beyond the Bruins and the Blues, which we touched on? Is there is there a first round series that you're like, okay, I can't wait till that comes on in my basement or in your case in my neighbor's basement. <laughs> there are a lot of them, actually. And, and I think the, the one thing that I got, and I know you watched a lot of hockey last week, is uh, it, it's like the NCAA tournament men's basketball feel, isn't it, Scotty? Uh, you, you just turn it on and there's hockey all day long. So um, I think that what we saw in the play-in round was just absolutely spectacular. And it's set up for some really good matchups. I mean, Nobody's going to answer your question and say Montreal, I'm sorry, uh, Chicago and uh, Vegas. But, I mean, you could have the potential of uh, Robin Leonard playing in goal against the team that traded him to that team uh, before the trade deadline. It's just absolutely uh, insane that the way that the season has unfolded and that works out. So, yeah, I think uh, Colorado, Arizona is one that strikes me. Colorado, uh, to me, is the team to beat. I like Tampa to win the Stanley Cup just a couple weeks ago, but the injuries have, have hurt them. And I think Nathan McKinnon has really got that team in Colorado playing well. And so uh, the matchups around the uh, both conferences, Scotty, I think are going to be uh, very intriguing. I think the NHL and the fans got the best of uh, a bad situation. And I think this is going to play out very interestingly. Well, I, I never feel it's a bad situation when I'm uh, hanging out with you, either uh, virtually or in close proximity, my friend. So thank you for getting up and uh, and soldiering through a powerless morning for you. And you should always read Jeremy Rutherford's Blues coverage at The Athletic St. Louis and download the perfectly produced podcast, We Went Blues, and you should follow Jeremy at J.P. Rutherford. And... That's been terrific. Enjoy the rest of your day, my friend. 
I will do, Scotty. Thanks a lot, buddy. And you should always check out our comment section for each podcast episode at The Athletic App. And don't forget to rate and subscribe to Two Man Advantage on Apple. My big pal, Pierre Lebrun. I shouldn't say big. My longtime pal, Pierre Lebrun. And I return for the full episode of Two Man Advantage on Wednesday. I'm Scott Burnside. Thanks for listening. Enjoy the hockey. And thanks for subscribing to The Athletic. 